0: and who would read for us volunteer chapter 3 21 through 26 Can't would you
1: righteousness through faith but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been, been made known to which the law and the prophets testify this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came of Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time to, to be just and the one who, those who have
0: faith in well thank you very powerful passage a lot of big words is coming up in theological terms uh, justification redemption atonement propitiation you might have different words so the thing about the studying Romans I find is that there's so much in it you could really do a verse a week I'm not kidding right
2: Yeah.
0: it's just so much.
2: <laughs> so we'll touch
0: base with it. Um, he said, but now, now, not meaning now the death of Christ so much, as, but now a transition in the story or his letter in Romans, because he's saying from chapter 1 up until v- chapter 3, verse 20, he's been talking all about the sin of men, mankind and its dominance and how all are corrupted. And it didn't matter if they were with the law, the Jew, or without the law, the Gentile all are condemned before God. So he says in verse 21, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. He tells us back in chapter 1, verse 17, this very thing. That in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith, from first to last, just as it is written. And then in chapter 2, or chapter 3, verse 20. He says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we became conscious of sin. So what do we do then? Gentiles without the law condemned. Jews with the law cannot be declared righteous. All are undone and lost, hopelessly lost. So chapter 321 starts a good news change. But now, he says... A righteousness from God. Key words there. Where's righteousness come from? Mm -hmm. And the word righteousness there is the same word for justification. Just so you know. The original word. If you see righteous or righteousness. It's the same word for justify or justification. So this justification or righteousness comes from God. It has to. Mm -hmm. It's apart from the law. It's been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Meaning... That ever since man was created, and we find out through Abraham, who was a Gentile, right? Or a pagan. He was not a Jew, obviously. Or Noah. That it always came by faith. Men have always been saved by faith alone. Never through any other type of religious work or righteousness on their own part. And the law and the prophets testify to this. We see in Abraham, it says he believed and it was credited in righteousness. Noah believed and went out and did what David said, Blessed is the man and the Lord will not impute righteousness against him, but impute righteousness instead. So it was always about belief. King David it was always about believing. This was always God's way in the Old Testament and the New. Interesting in verse 2, chapter 22, the second verse, he says, This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Uh, There is no difference. It's interesting, he says, The faith of Jesus Christ. This has caused some people to wonder, is it possible that our faith is in his faith? It's kind of interesting. It doesn't mean that. But it says the faith of Jesus Christ, his faithfulness. Some some people believe their faith should be in the fact that Jesus, as a perfect man, lived the perfect life. So his faithfulness is what we put faith into to gain righteousness. It's interesting, but it's not what it is. It just means faith in, like we always believe, faith in what Jesus, in Jesus Christ himself. Now listen to this. This stunned me, this sentence, when I first heard it. Tell me what you think of this. This is from a good commentary. Incidentally, it is never said that men are saved on account of their faith in Christ. That struck me first. You hear what that says? It is never said that men are saved on account of their faith in Christ. Huh? See the key word, their faith. See, so see what he's saying. And that's interesting because a lot of times people talk about my faith or faith, 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 faith did it. Faith, technically, faith does nothing in this. Faith by itself is—it's a noun. It has to become active. That's why we say believe, believe, believe is a verb. See what I'm saying? So faith, it takes faith to then become active. So our faith alone must have an object, and it must have an activeness. So Romans ten ten. If you just go skip up ahead for a minute.
3: So your point is that faith isolated from an object doesn't. Exactly.
0: Stay exactly. If you have but faith
3: and not works, for instance. Exactly.
0: Not And the works would be believing. Jesus said this is the work of God, that you believe. And Now, I'm I'm not trying to get into semantics of words because faith is obviously, our faith in Christ is is key. But it's interesting how Romans 10 says it this, and Romans 10 and 9, I think we could even look at. You confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. Now, that's key, the heart. What is faith anyways? Where is it coming from in belief? Where's it all happening? Places we can't see physically. It's within your heart. So he says, you believe in your heart. He says, uh, the word of faith we are proclaiming. He says, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, God, raise him from the dead, you'll be saved. Listen to verse 10. It is with your heart that you believe and are justified. See there? Faith alone would have nothing to do with anything. It's believing God's... How were men saved in the Old Testament before they knew of Christ? Simply this. They believed God's words. They believed God and what he said. And when you believe in God and what he says, whatever that is, if he tells Noah, go build an ark, maybe, you know, we all like to say we look towards the cross. I don't, I don't think they knew everything about the cross.
2: Right.
0: But they were believing in what God said. That's how men are saved. What God says, and He says Christ is Lord, and Christ is the Redeemer. We believe in what He says, and Christ is the Word of God, so we believe what He says. It's believing in God, trusting God. I don't mean to make it simplified. I'm a liberal, I hope here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying?
3: Barry, can you hold on one second? Good brother. You know, believing in the heart. One, one right. You draw some, you gotta, well, you no,
0: very. That's what I'm saying. Got, this, know, this kind of un. Well, one man says this it, it's the best I could find he says uh, the notion it might encourage the notion your faith the notion that makes a contribution and has some merit your faith makes no contribution and has no merit unless it's applied to something an object which is truthful and must be believed and have any power he said this on the contrary faith is simply and then he quotes another writer the hand of the heart the hand of the heart. I mean, that's kind of a vague thing, but th- believing is the hand of your heart reaching out or taking? I don't know. What would you say, brother?
3: Just that there could be a, a misconception about the heart being the root for the believing that produces the salvation of Right,
0: God. right. Yeah, um, you know, and take that too. I you.
3: think it's not so much giving... The thing that the heart can do is good, and therefore can generate faith, right. way, But rather, where it comes from mm-hmm. in in in, in yeah. uh, genuinity in reality, and uh, right. deep-seatedness, um, right, rooted in a, in a real, genuine, deep-seated conviction,
0: right. That then would have repentance and takes action afterwards. And I'm going to use the example later, Zacchaeus, who believed, right? Carson hadn't died yet. Zacchaeus believed and then took action. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house. So it's an action. So the heart is not even the point either. You're right. What happens with that heart is something we do and reach out and become actively seeking and believing in. Mark.
1: It seems to be an act of faith is the heart realizing that in and of itself is inadequate and reaches outside it, you know, seek, out something outside itself in this case Christ who is totally satisfactory
0: but believing in it you're right like the demons believe and and shudder right and those came to Christ and said we did miracles in your name and we did wonderful things and maybe they believed the Jews had said believed in him and then they went out and called him the, the, the devil so believing is one thing and then believing fully with your heart deeply in your heart and taking it as As truthful God's word, that's what saves. That's what He says in John
1: seventeen. Yeah. That's you know, you are my people. Right. Pray for us, and uh, it's really very personal. It's like
0: people today that they'll say to you, you'll go up to somebody or a friend or a family member, and you'll say, "Jesus, this," and they'll say, "I believe, I believe," but they don't believe in their heart deeply to take in and make change and give Him the Lord the Lordship. we hear
3: the uh, often made expression that, that you believe in your head but not in your heart
0: right right the 18 inches right from the heart to the head <laughs> you're right so so just so the emphasis is on just uh, on faith in Christ really and then his part
1: it's uh, almost unfortunate that we use the heart in that way and, and even you know yeah. I, I think I understand like the <laughs> yeah, yeah. but let's face it your heart has nothing to do with belief right I mean, it, the ancients. In fact, we translate the heart, but the ancients were translated variously the kidneys, Kiddies, yeah. the uh, which the makes vowels, sense. because it was just from the your guts. Time.
0: Your guts. It comes so, out of your
1: guts. You know, when we say we believe with your heart, I mean it's right. important to. I think realize that the heart is talking about everything that is sort of the epicenter of our ability to think, believe, feel. I mean, it's. Yeah. it's all that sort of immaterial stuff for yeah. us
0: it's, like yeah. it's us investing fully in, in what we're what we're believing Tony
1: uh,
3: I was going to think two things one of the things is that the heart that we consider to be like the life of us that
0: you know without personality
3: we have no life in us that's yeah. one of the things I think that is sort of intertwined with right. that meaning is the other it? thing I think is that the, the object of, of the reason right. um, that you do believe is important. I mean, we all realize that God had caused us to believe. Right. And I think that's a key to remembering. Right. When someone says that they believe in Christ, where's that coming from? Because right. if it doesn't come from God, then it comes and benefits themselves or others. It right. doesn't glorify God.
0: When Peter said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, what did Jesus say? Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father. Mm-hmm. So it has to come from a power source. So Romans 3.23, then he says, oh, let me go back myself. He says, um, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, that's not referring to the end times and the judgment of God, which we sometimes think it means. Uh, it's referring strictly to judgment. It's actually just saying the st- showing again, emphasizing again, the status of men before God. In other words, there is no way to compare faulty, sinless, condemned men to the glory of God we're not even close, right? We're not even universes away. And we'll see more of that. Um, That's why I think mature Christians, without sounding negative, see themselves more and more for sinners that they are. Like said last week, he pounded home that we're condemned. And he's exactly right. But But a lot of people say, well, that's why I don't like Reformed theology. Because it teaches this negative, we're sinners, we're sinners. Yes, but you forget the next part. Of course, yes, we're the deepest of sinners. We have a sin nature that doesn't practice what it's capable of, most likely, but that just shows me the gift of God is that great. I'm not being fatalistic. I'm saying face the facts. You know, in Genesis 6, God said this about man: He saw how great man's wickedness had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. That's not exaggeration. Then after the flood, what does God say? Well, let's start all over. They're going to be good now. No, he said this. He said, The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Noah made a sacrifice. He said, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from a small child. Little children think evil. Mm -hmm. The sin nature. And never again will I destroy So these are not, I call them, holy exaggerations, right? When Paul says, uh, there's nothing good in my flesh. When Paul says, I am the chiefest of sinners, that's not false humility. Paul's not saying, yeah, I'm the chiefest of sinners. He means it. When he says, I am one stillborn, which is a miscarried baby, he's not just being false humility. Paul, the great man of God that he was, sees himself for what he really is. That he is the chiefest of sinners. But we all are the chiefest of sinners. We have fallen so far short of the glory of God. That's why this whole theme today, I want you to remember it. One sentence. The last, the last sentence in 26. He is the just and the justifier Amen. of those who have faith in Christ Jesus. Who believe in Christ Jesus. There's two parts to our salvation. We forget about one or we don't acknowledge it in a great way. We like the justified part, but we'll see in a minute more of the just part. All right, so these are, and you, you know, we see here God, God just justifying all of sin and he justifies freely, it says. Adam and Eve, right? When they sinned, what did God do? Make them skins for clothing? Where'd those skins come from? Something was killed. Noah's family, Noah's and his family was saved as, as through water. He was justified. What happened to the others? justice Abraham's covenant when he had his vision and he walked through the middle of all the what vision of dead animals just and the justifier and the justified Abraham Christ on the cross of course the perfect example the just justice on him justification on us both accomplished at the same time that's why work salvation is so like Denise said, John McElroy likes the word stupid a lot Work salvation is so stupid because the only way somebody can be saved by works is if you're 100% sinless. 100. No pearly gates. 100% sinless. Because who's... And we say, well, then no one's been 100% sinless. You just set it in your mind. Ah, one has. Right? Can you imagine if Jesus came down, and this is an awful illustration Man sins, we sin, we sin. Jesus came down and said, all right, I'm, I'll help you out. Jesus comes down, and again, this is a, just pardon me for saying this silly story. Jesus comes down, lives a perfectly sinless life. He says, okay, I'm going back to heaven. You do that. <laughs> what gospel is that? You did it, Jesus. You did it perfectly, but now you're telling us that we can't. We can't do it. We have to be given it. Somebody has to hand it to us. And that's exactly what happened. In the cross. Now, some say, oh, is God saying that all are saved? Because he said that all, you know, that all have sinned and that all are freely justified. No. Only those, in verse 22, says, all who believe. So this word justification, some say it means to acquit. Uh, And it can mean, in biblical sense, it means to acquit. It's a legal word. It's a... Forensic term, it means um, to to declare. To to declare righteous. It doesn't mean to make righteous. I thought that was interesting, someone wrote. Are we are we made righteous? Because why? How do we know we're not made righteous? We're still sitting. We're declared righteous. Big difference. But we will still need to go on and be cleansed from not saved again, again and again. But we will, as you read First John nine, talks about that, but we are declared righteous not to be maketh righteous, so to speak. Sanctification and justification are two different things, and this is what I want to take a minute to talk about, it. because I see, I see Christians or even myself sometimes, fall into this trap that we, we don't distinguish justification from sanctification. They are two completely different things. One is a status done, done. You can't change it, fix it, whatever. It's done. But sanctification is ongoing, you see? But what's the motivations? This is what I'm talking about. I worry that sometimes Christians meaning well, and because God has done so much for us, and that they try to do so much to justify their justification. Everything of that? I'm going to show God He didn't waste a pick on me. I'm going to show God he made a good bet on me. I'm going to show him that I'm equal to that. No. That's a wrong way to live as a Christian because what's going to come from that? All the legalism you can think of, right? Well, if I'm going to justify my justification to show God that he's made a right pick in me, then I better go out there and, hey, look what she's wearing and, hey, look what they watch and, hey, they don't do this and turns into all this legalism. Because the motivation for sanctification is wrong. What's our motiv- motivation for our sanctification because of our justification is wholly different. Our, our motivation for living a sanctified life is thank you. I want to be like you. I want to show mercy. I want to forgive. I want to be gracious. I'm not talking about overlooking sin and intolerant of sin I don't mean that no way but the motivation for sanctification is thank you Lord for what you did I'm so grateful I could never pay you back and a good example of that I think of the difference between justification and sanctification is the parable of the man I, I like this parable I was talking to Denise about during the week <laughs> I've just got kind of a pressing a little bit just to show you, you remember the one man goes to his master and he, the master says you owe me ten gazillion dollars thousand bags of gold right? ten thousand pounds whatever it is two thousand bags of gold he says pay me I'm going to throw you in jail he says oh please please he begged and he begged and he begged the master forgave his debt what's that? Justification. that's justice you know what I mean that's justice is done he relieved paid his debt that's what redemption is paid your debt the man walks away now he's justified that's the story right? Let's just say he represents justification. He goes and he finds Harry who owes him $1,000. And he says, Harry. You you know what happened. He says, Harry, you owe me $1,000. And he had him thrown in jail. And then, of course, the master found out what he should have done. His motivation should have been this. Hey, Harry. Oh, Harry, by the way, you owe me $1,000. Forget about it. Not only that. Here's all I got. This $500, please take it. That's sanctification. See mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? See, the motivation is different. We're saying thank you. We're not going to equal it. Never try to justify your justification. You're, you're actually... You're doing harm to God's God's beauty and justice by doing that. Zacchaeus was a good example, right? He he saw he ran as his, his where heart comes in, Gary. Like he said, believe. Why did he run ahead? Why... Why did he want to see Jesus? He meant he wanted to see this Jesus. And Jesus said, Come down, I'll eat at your house. I guess went to his house because it says he stood up and he said, Lord, if I defraud anyone, I would do this and that. And he went overboard. Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house. Why? Because he acted with sanctification because of his justification. You see what I'm saying? Tony? I think
3: it can be described even maybe a little bit worse. If if you're trying to justify your justification, in a way, what's happening is that you're saying that the power of Christ's death on the cross isn't good enough and you've got to help them out a little bit in order for you to get heaven or to be saved or to be right in the eyes of the Lord.
0: A reverse of that, I say to people that, I had some people that worked for me who thought they could keep this. I said, you know, if you think you can lose your salvation, you're telling me you can keep it. (laughs) Right? If they can lose it, they must think they can keep it, and that's that's awful. So it is a free gift. It says freely in verse twenty four. It says we are justified freely by his grace. That means free gift. And then it says uh, freely through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. Redemption is the price that a slave was bought out of slavery. A slave was bought out of his bondage by this redemptive amount of money. It's the, it's the fee that was paid for a slave. Now we get on to the word atonement. In verse 25. God presented him, who? Jesus. As a sacrifice of atonement. Your, your version says what? Propitiation. What does yours say? Propitiation. Okay, some say propitiation, atonement same through faith in his blood he did this to demonstrate here we go his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished this always bothered me that verse what does that mean? let them go unpunished so the atonement is it says God presented him some people don't like it because they think that this is theatrics by God saying I presented Jesus to you bloody on a cross to the world. Da-da. Well, I don't think that's necessarily wrong for God to present Christ publicly in, this, in the state that he was in. Um, some people don't like that because they think it seems a little odd that God says, I present you, my son, in his beaten glory, in his, his, tortured, uh, his tortured body. But literally the verb or the verses mean he set before himself Aha! Uh-huh. Now we're seeing God actively involved with this atonement with His Son, which is part of what we're talking about here. He said before Himself might be preferred, although Jesus being presented before the world, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with Christ being presented before the world. And you'll see in a little bit more, because the word for uh, propitiation or atonement is the the Greek word. The reason why I say this is because in the Septuagint, you know, which is the greek version of the old testament which was written about 250 bc which jesus quoted from many times and paul used heavily was the greek version of the old testament the word "hilasterion," which is for propitiation or atonement has the idea of the mercy seat so we could say in this respect that what god's doing is he's showing christ as this fulfillment of the what the mercy seat represented Only now, like someone said, it's it's what used to be inaccessible to people. Christ has opened up. He's like, the mercy seat is no longer kept in the sacred seclusion of the most holy place. It is brought out into the rough and tumble of the world, Jesus, and set up before the eyes of hostile, contemptuous, indifferent crowds. Christ has become the meeting place of God and man where the mercy of God is available through the sacrifice of his son right the cross is where mercy and grace meet justice and grace meet so that now all men from all over the world every tribe every tongue every nation isn't it interesting I think too that how when they came back from the Babylonian captivity there was no Ark of the Covenant anymore Right? Was God saying, We got to get the Ark of the Covenant back here. The Temple of Zorbel was nothing, right? The men cried because of the former Temple. Because God was transitioning. He was transitioning from an earthly people in an earthly temple in an earthly way to a spiritual. Which he talked about in Daniel. A kingdom that's cut without hands. A kingdom that no other kingdom will come against and will stand forever. This new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, which we're part of. But Christ is the great mercy seat. His was the great... And notice how the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat. It says Christ is the great mercy seat. And it says, and we believe in His blood. His blood was splattered on the mercy seat of Himself, becoming the great mercy seat. Now here's a question that theologians fight over. Tyler like this, right? He likes theologians a lot. So don't we all... The, was the propitiation, and this is a question for free, you don't have to write an essay on this one, but there's two ways of looking at, so the atonement has underneath it two sets or two subsets. One is expiation, the other one is propitiation. I'm not trying to get fancy, I'm just trying to explain this to you. Expiation is the belief that the emphasis on the atonement, and the Old Testament would give a little evidence to this, that the emphasis on the atonement was to remove guilt from the sinner. Well, we can go on with that to an extent, right? Remove guilt, that's what the, sacri- the, the blood sacrifices did, so to speak. That's what the scapegoat kind of did. Was Although it had no power in themselves, right? David said the blood of bulls and goats is possible to take away sin. So all those bloody sacrifices really meant nothing in reality about doing anything real. But it removed guilt. Or was the atonement really about propitiation which is about the appeasing the wrath of God. Hmm. See, that's where we Christians don't often think about it. We think about justification as being, my sins are saved, thank you Lord. And that's true. But you know it's just as important, or maybe more important than that? God's justice was finalized. His justice. And that's what we're talking about just and the justifier we think that the only thing we have to do is get, get justified and get saved that's not what had to happen what had to happen is God's wrath had to be appeased for sin that's why hell is forever because sin is never appeased in hell it can't be, his wrath can't be appeased by those in hell so you and I were condemned and the wrath had to be appeased that's why, so here's the thing was it more so that that people were relieved of their guilt that's what atonement did or was it that God was appeased appeased in his wrath of course it's both but do you see what I'm trying to say about the justice part so this is what we try to say how much did Jesus really pay and suffer wrath from God and we've been studying about this in Hebrews and it's been good because we found out through Hebrews what? heavily heavily Jesus suffered the wrath of God, and a lot of people don't like that because they say that makes God vengeful, that makes God cruel that He beat His Son, that He destroyed His Son. I can't take that. I don't see God that way. Did He do that to His Son? Did He destroy Him? Mark, it
1: was it not we who did that? There was sin. Yeah.
0: And it must be atone, it must be paid for. So you remember in Isaiah it says this. Here's an answer to some of those people. It pleased him to put him to grief.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Why? Why would God allow his son to be beaten and destroyed and to turn on him so that his own son says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But you are holy, he says, right in the psalm. Because sin had to be paid for fully. The wrath of God had to be appeased. And yes, we have removal of guilt. Thank God. But it was the wrath of God that had to be met first. And then the debt was paid as well. The wrath. Is God vengeful? Like I said, is hell not vengeance? Here's what one man said, and I thought this was a good way of saying it. He said, God directed against himself his own righteous wrath is that true? He directed against himself, his son, his dear beloved son, his sinless, perfect son of God. He directed on himself his own righteous wrath. And the word wrath is used many times in, in the book of, Hebrew, uh, book of Romans all the way up to verse the verses we just read. So the wrath of God was poured on his son to the full, the fullest and the, all that could be done, it was poured on him. Gary? Yeah?
3: I think Harrison wants to say something. I'll go next.
2: Go ahead. <laughs> uh, somebody gave an illustration of a uh, little village in a valley and up above this massive dam. One day the dam broke and all this billions and millions of gallons of water are coming down towards this village. Uh, tsunami is going to be wiped out destroyed completely at the very last moment uh, the ground opens up beneath and swallows all the water and he said uh, I think it was Paul Washer an illustration of how Christ took the full wrath of God the Father on the cross
0: took it off yeah. yeah that's a good point Gary
3: I was just thinking of the words of a hymn writer that put it this way no wrath God's heart retaineth to usward who believe, no dread in ours remaineth as we his love receive. No wrath in God's heart Reta- uh, retaineth. He's not retaining any wrath right. towards us. In another right. illustration, sort of like what you gave, right. just reminded me. It's a track called Stand Where the Fire Has Been. And you know of these massive fires that oh, yeah, right. happen on the West Coast right. where whole multitudes of acres get burnt. Sometimes it comes into you know, civilized areas where people's lives are at stake and so on. Mm-hmm. But what firefighters do sometimes is they build a fire. Yes. In advance of the right. fire coming, right. So when the fire arrives at that spot, right. the ground has already been burned. There's nowhere to go. Further. Right. So the Lord is our one who stood in the fire for yeah. us. So that the fire of God's wrath,
1: yeah. It's well,
3: ended. You're and in there against me.
0: <laughs> and 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 think about the blood being the difference, not the people. And I suppose it would involve their faith, but think about the angel of death in the Old Testament. It always astounds me. Mm. It said, any house that doesn't have that blood, there'll be death. That's Jews too. If there was a great Jewish... So it wasn't about being a Jew that saved them. Any house that didn't have the blood. So if you had a good Jewish family, a God-fearing Jewish family, and they said, whoops, I forgot to put the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, that angel didn't care. Mm -hmm. He didn't care at all who you were. God is impartial. All he cares about is seeing blood on you. Because of the, the Bible says in the New Testament, we were children of wrath as they, were, they are. There's nothing special in us except for He called us. And then we are now, through faith and believing, not children of wrath. Yeah.
4: Um, you know, one thing with that is the um, propitiation for um, the for- first one. Um, you know how their their firstborn were saved, but God gave His firstborn to save the world. You know where the Israelites got that wrath to pass over them. Um, right. God did not let that wrath pass over His Son, right. even though His Son didn't. Right. Deserve it. Um, and then also what you were saying about how um, some people find it hard to handle um, the fact that God would. Um, punish his son Um, it should be a hard thing to think about it is a hard truth and it shouldn't easily make sense right but the response to that is to realize how awesome salvation and grace is not to turn it away right
0: and and as you said that it made me think not only that it should fortify your idea of eternal security and I don't say that cheaply Mm -hmm. if it's this powerful a redemption then you must believe that you're not, you cannot undo justification. Amen. So that that's, that's who he was. Or we cheapen his blood, like you said. And we'll see how this worked. The full wrath of Christ, because in the end of verse 25, it says, he did this to demonstrate his justice because in forbearance he left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Now that's amazing. And, and I am and I'm not saying I know all about this, but let me give you some ideas of what I think it means. Man, what happened to the sins? I was just one of that. So in the Old Testament, they came with their, you know, their pigeons and their calves, but it did nothing. It didn't it didn't satisfy the wrath of God, but he declared them relieved of guilt, right? They believed in faith. So they believed and they were justified. Okay, if you can get me with this, if you disagree, that's fine. But think about it this way. So in the Old Testament, from Adam up until Christ, men believing, women believing in faith, in God's words, were justified. They were saved. But the wrath was never appeased. Never. It's been on hold. It's been delayed. It's like God's going to the bank... He's going to pay the debt but it's not paid yet but it's as good as his word and that's why you're justified. Because I've taken the wrath away because former times it says here he left the sins committed unpunished. Some say, does that mean God was weak or something? No, he wasn't weak. It was delaying it. And then we could say delaying it for what? The payment was on hold but they were saved by faith. His word was good. We think about the scapegoat and the day of atonement, but the Bible tells us it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It was always faith, whether Noah, Abraham, David, Habakkuk, the judge, my righteous one shall live by faith. Well, here's what happened at the cross, and this should make it come home to you. The wrath of God, that was payday. When he was on the cross, that's when the due, the bills were due. From Adam, until Christ and beyond all sin beyond the cross That due, the build came due that day so all the wrath of God from Adam which he overlooked but justified men and they were saved but their sins were not the wrath was not appeased it was put on hold till Christ came and isn't it interesting what did Christ say from the cross when he died tetelestai right Which means what? It's finished. What does it mean? Paid in full. That's what tetelestai means. It means paid. So what Jesus was saying from the cross before he gave up the Spirit, all the wrath of God for all the sin of mankind from Adam until he returns has paid in full. So did all the wrath, did Jesus suffer the whole wrath of God? God put waited till Jesus came to put
3: it on Him the sins of the old
0: and the new and the beyond. Gary.
3: And when you say um, the whole world, I mean obviously only believers in the old exactly Christians were right. the ones that had the guarantee right. of salvation. Then Christ, of course, finalized right. the payment. One way I like to illustrate it is uh, in, in early days they still I guess do this a thing called layaway. <laughs> you put something on layaway, your That's name right. is written, it's there for you, but it mm-hmm. still yet has to be paid for. Right. So all our sins just were put on layaway That's in right. the old testament. That's right. And then when Christ comes along, he pays for it in full and that whole layaway period is over with and ended. Right. And
0: all, and although men were given the beauty and and the and the and the and the, the glory of giving begin justification and all the and all the rights that go with it. God did not satisfy Himself by delaying the wrath and the appeasement of His wrath until Christ came. Randy,
3: um, what's the difference between forbearance and patience? Often we read them together.
0: Um, right. Can on that a little bit? They could be two different words. I think they're two different words. And patience basically just means a slow, a slowness of anger, a slow burn, and forbearance may mean just what we think in English too—that it just he, he waits, he waits, he waits. And we see that's a part of God too. He's long suffering and he waits. But I found it interesting. I thought how are the people in the Old Testament we know they were saved by faith, but what happened to their sins? They were never paid for. Because the time was coming they were going to be paid for. That bill was due on the cross.
3: Interestingly that uh, those who were in Sheol in the Old Testament period, we believe have been transferred after the resurrection uh-huh. of Christ to glory, wow. could that be an indication? Wow. For yeah, us? right. You yeah, know, there was still a suspense wow. in the atmosphere until Christ accomplished it and you, sold the yeah. payment of their sins.
0: Yeah, as you were saying, that makes you think. A thought. I never had that before, yep.
3: new, so don't right. take it to the banquet
0: right. yet. Right, and to show you again, which was which was more important to God? He says He's the just. It says to demonstrate His in verse twenty-six, at His justice at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies which was more important to God I would say both that we are justified and that his justice is is reached by the wrath on his son also you can read verse 26 remember the word righteous you can, instead of just and justified you can say righteous the righteous one and who he declared righteous is the same thing but it means um, oh yeah I was going to say this that which is more important well think of it this way why would you need to be justified why is there justification needed in the first place it's a it's a reaction from what the need for justice to be paid so which came first chicken or the egg did people need to be justified that didn't come first what came first was sin that made men now in in God's in view target of God's wrath <coughs> Now men need to be justified. That's why God sent the justifier. So God did both through his salvation. He took care of both ends of it. He said, I'll justify you, but it comes with a cost, and I will find my justice appeased. My wrath will be appeased. My son paid the full debt and penalty for the sin. Jess?
4: Yeah, um, with the whole forbearance, of sins up until this time um, I think it highlights um, how God's timing is so different from ours I mean it, you're talking all the sins from Adam right. to Christ so many right. generations of sins um, how long did Abraham have to wait Yeah. for, for for the sins to be paid on the cross, how right. long um, did it take for all those things to happen? How long did God right. wait to come to this time where we would imagine, you know, like <coughs> ten years of, of suffering and forbearance? You know, okay, salvation should come right. soon. You know, and right. I think that's also why we we will oftentimes see relief in this life, but we have to look towards relief. In right, heaven.
0: Right, because, because this is not the end of the journey. Go
4: God often works on a long time. Right,
0: right, exactly. And that's his plan being revealed at this time. He showed it through his son. Um, that justice was, a, was was not paid, it was not accomplished until God's wrath was poured out his son. And so God is right to demand justice and he is loving and gracious to give justification and through himself and by his son he does both things he gives the, the gift of justification and he appeases his anger and wrath at sin someone said this I thought it was a good way to conclude um, he said think about it this way justification can take but a moment right sanctification can take but a lifetime and glorification takes all of eternity. That's the good news for us, right? Sanctification, the life we live, our motive now is different. Our motive isn't how good a Christian can I be? How better can I be than these other people? Our motivation for sanctification is because he gave you this gift, and you just want to love him for it. Thank him for it. And most of all, be conformed to the image of his son. What better example than our Lord Jesus? When I was a young, brand new Christian, my favorite guy was David. A lot of people love King David, right? But why do you love David? Because he's a man after God's own heart. Because he was so... he had, And yet, we know all about his sins. We know that. But David loved God. David was like a child. David had energy. David had childlike faith. David worshipped God. David was fair to his soldiers for the most part but who came now and replaced David as the ultimate the best man but our Lord Jesus and then Jesus said whoever has seen me has seen the Father so you have it all in him anyone As we close them before we have Harrison a, have a
3: Harrison go ahead
1: go ahead Gary will answer <laughs> no, I, I guess it was a
2: question about Adam's transgression and uh, how that relates to his Lord's kingdom so he said his sons will not to bear the guilt of the sins of their fathers and the Lord says I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked therefore turn from their sins and not this one at the West makes their confessions and now it talks about how Adam Condition. Right. condition because of what happened. Right. And 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 I just was curious as to what you so how does that relate to like say people that are born um, and that's right right wow well. do they go directly to hell right I don't know that's what kind of
0: but you're right as far, first of all as far as Adam being like, the, like you said the federal head supposedly if the human race of sin through one man all all were made sinners through, through one man's act of disobedience many became sinners through one man's act of righteousness many became righteous so there's the difference between the second Adam Jesus and the first Adam so that carries through all generations but as far as people, men mentally are retired, or, well, even babies, we don't know. The Bible just doesn't say. Um, you know, like, what happens to babies when they die? and I, I don't know, but David, we only have a few examples, possibly, where David said, uh, I, I will go to him, but he cannot come back to me. So David had a, a belief in life after death for his baby that died, I don't know. Gary, do you want to answer that? or What's the question? Did I have the
3: question? How could Adam send me transmitted to his progeny and yet Ezekiel says that everyone has to um uh, right. the sentence it shall die. Right, right. But I think in the case of Adam it's the transmission of the nature right. to all mankind and right. success to him. Whereas right. what Ezekiel's talking about has more to do with the government, with yeah. the people's actions. How does that affect right. the next generation? I'm not responsible for my father having been a right. drunk.
2: Right.
3: You know, that his guilt shouldn't be my guilt. Right. I shouldn't have to inherit what he sowed, and I shouldn't have to reap that. I right. think that's what Ezekiel 18 is saying. And in some cases, that, that, that is appropriate.
0: Right, Depends on the context. In, in Exodus, when God says, visiting the iniquity of the children, the fathers on the third and fourth generations, but then he says in another place, I will not hold them accountable, like you said, Can for the sins God. of their fathers. Right, but other, but that was just a what? Like you say, the context is talking about his general view of sin. He doesn't let it go unpunished. But then he says, "I will not make another man the children pay for their father's sins." So there's
3: a solidarity that we have with Adam that people don't have with a parent. Mm-hmm. There's a difference of relationship.
0: Right. Yep. Amen. Go ahead,
4: Yeah, I think with all of that, if you look at um, the whole section where it um, shows, like juxtaposes Adam and Christ um, as federal heads, um, if through Adam and his thing came, like, um, the sin nature on everyone underneath his federal headship. Um, then Christ through his righteousness everyone under him comes um, you know the, the change heart the um, yeah the, the changing of your heart um, towards one like Christ so.
0: Amen. only those who believe Can would you close us in prayers greetings heavenly
1: father we thank you lord for teaching this morning let us always focus on the fact that it's not us who can remove our sins, but mm-hmm. it's Christ and Christ alone, perfect Lamb God, because of his blood that we have it of our sins. Yes. And Lord, we pray for Pastor Gary and prepared the preachers to continue the preaching of your word, may you always be glorified. In his name. Amen. Thank you, Barry.